that's how you're going to get the insights that Bill Gates doesn't have. And that's why Bill Gates is going to call you, because you're going to have an answer that he doesn't have before. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information, and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are wealth of resources to help you thrive including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoy this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from technology evangelist and author Robert Scoble, whose work as a blogger and communicator for Microsoft, Fast Company, Rackspace, and others has truly shaped the evolution of social media. He's the author of four books about technology, including ones dedicated to AI and spatial computing. You can find his blog at scobelizer.blog and follow him on Twitter at at scobelizer. That's S-C-O-B-L-E-I-Z-E-R. In this episode, Robert shares insights on how to find the latest news, how to use Twitter for insight, finding the 20 people you need to follow, the value of conversations, and far more. Keep listening to learn how Robert is always the first to know about what's coming in consumer technology. Robert, fantastic uh, to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show. So since I've heard about you a very long time ago, you've always been on the very, very edge of uh, new technologies and what's going on. So how do you do it? <laughs> 40 years of community building online. I mean, um, uh-huh. that's that's part of it. But, you know, for people who don't know what I've done, if you go over to Twitter, you can see my uh, tweet deck. And I have like 70 different lists all raining down like the matrix. And, um, you know, this is something that every listening team at a corporation uses, right? They, they watch... Uh, a, a wide variety of people online and news sources and things in real time, and they can respond to that in real time. And that's, I was part of the listening team at Rackspace for seven years and, and helped them quite a bit with figuring out who to listen to and how to, how to deal with the information flows. So let's dig into that. So how do you build your lists and where, how do you <laughs> keep scanning it? I mean, <laughs> Thousands of hours of OCD. <laughs> I mean, well, there's different ways to look at this, right? If somebody is needing to learn something from scratch, I'll have one set of advice. Like if, if you told me I have two years to learn everything there is about artificial intelligence, I'd take you down one path. If you're already up to date on artificial intelligence and you're already working at a tech company, you're already you know, working at Tesla or Apple building uh, AI systems, 
then I'll have what I've built, which is a system to keep you up to date and refreshed. And we could probably come at that both areas. Yeah, well, I'm interested. I think, you know, since we've got probably uh, people in both groups listening, let's let's look at both paths. But I mean, the, I mean, in a way, we're really looking at the, those who are already kind of, you know, know the basics and sort of saying, okay, what's, what's new? What's change? Yeah. Well, that's getting a little easier now because of like, particularly on Twitter, there's a search engine. And so now you can type artificial intelligence into the search engine and you'll see anybody who says artificial intelligence on a tweet show up on, on that stream, on that feed. And that'll lead you somewhat to the right place. But the problem is now you'll get a lot of noise, a lot of trolls, a lot of advertising, a lot of things that have nothing to do with artificial intelligence. Or if they do, they're from people that you probably don't care about and probably on topics you don't care about because you're already fairly advanced on artificial intelligence. You're not just trying to learn about the space and build your own list. You're trying to stay up to date on the advanced stuff. And for me, that's when you start really building your own list. And you have to get to know people who you're listening to. And that takes time. Or you can steal my list. <laughs> right? But but even yeah. then you, you very generously share. I built a list on artificial intelligence and another one on computer vision and another one on autonomous cars for this reason, right? But if you don't know who you're listening to, you're still gonna get a lot of noise and a lot of fluff. And um, filtering out that is really tough. Really tough. So you share you share all your lists, so everyone can, as you say, benefit from your, you know, your all of your work in building them. Yes, but uh, but then of course other people might prioritize different people in the list, or have other people they think of, or different ways of framing it. So how do how do they go from, for example, this is what I would recommend is you start with my list and a search, and you build your own lists because you're probably focused on something very specific in AI and you want to keep up to date on on your very niche thing, right? And therefore, you don't want to listen to 2,000 people because they're across everything, right? You want to listen to maybe 20 or 30 people who are very focused on the same kind of thing you are. And that means you'll get less less tweets every day and you'll get a lot uh, higher likelihood of some signal and not not a lot of noise right you'll still get noise but you'll get a lot more signal that's interesting to you than if you do a search on ai and and get everything that everybody says you know every tweet with the the word ai in it right so one of the the challenges with the twitter lists i find is that you can't do a 24-hour scan. I mean, if you've got anything in it, then you just, you're just time slicing. You just sort of say, okay, well, I'm looking out for this time. I can see what's in that, but I've missed everything else which has gone on the last whatever hours. That's true unless you listen to very few people. If you listen to very few people, then you can go back through the past 24 hours of 20 people's tweets, right? Because 20 people are not going to tweet that much in a day, particularly if you pick the right 20 people because they're – these are AI people, right? They're, they're not, they're not uh, influencers who are doing 100 tweets a day. These are people yeah. who are probably going to do 10 tweets a day. So that's 200 tweets, right? And that's the trick is to find the 20 people that will keep you up to date. And they will retweet in to your feed the important things that are happening in the field. 
Twitter has changed a lot in the last, I think, the last three, four years in particular. And so how has the value or the use of Twitter lists changed for you in the in the last, last period? I, I do the same thing on Facebook. So I, I can spend a lot of time with you about optimizing Facebook for, you know, trying to get some signal out of that thing, which is really difficult. Same thing on LinkedIn. Yep. I have 30,000 connections on LinkedIn, right? And then I come to Twitter and I have 100,000 people on my various li- or news brands and things on my lists. And I watch them all on one screen. Twitter has some real advantages over the other two. One, you can follow people a lot easier than friending them on, t- on Facebook or figuring out how to follow a friend. Two, it's if you're using TweetDeck, which is how I read Twitter, it, it has columns across uh, the screen. Those are in real time. So if somebody publishes a new tweet, you don't have to refresh the page or the browser to see a new thing. This is really important for watching breaking news, for instance. This is why all the, uh, almost all the world's journalists are on Twitter, because they can watch the world on one screen without hitting refresh on the browser. It's real important to do that. And three, you can search for things. So if there is breaking news, you know, Haiti just had an earthquake. If you care about that, you can put Haiti earthquake into the search engine and you'll see everybody who mentions Haiti and earthquake in a tweet. And it'll be a lot, but if you're highly interested in what's going on in, in a specific news event, that'll be uh, uh, very interesting to you. The others are still important for community building and for engagement. I get more engagement when I publish something on both LinkedIn and Facebook than I do on Twitter because Twitter's going so fast that people just don't have a lot of time to, you know, sit there and chat all day long. And, and also, it doesn't have the affordance to do that, right? It, it, it's really not meant as a chat room or as a, a thing where you put a lot of comments underneath something, right, and go back and forth on a topic. So yeah. a lot of times, if if I care about engaging with somebody, I'll take them out of Twitter and take them over to LinkedIn or or li- over to Facebook or over to some messenger, right? Or even direct messages into Twitter where I can chat with them fast back and forth and learn something and uh, and not do that in public because you're spraying that stuff into the public view and it pisses off your readers and makes all their noise levels go up, right? Do you uh, spend any time on some of the, the private messaging apps, your telegrams or signals or things like I'm that? I'm on all for... of them. WeChat, <laughs> Messenger, <laughs> Facebook Messenger, <laughs> Signal, I mean, uh, Telegram, uh, Discord. Uh, there's a lot of places to spend your time. And this is also starting to become a problem because where, where do you spend? Let's say you have an hour to be online. Where do you spend that hour? You can split that hour up amongst communities in, in a bunch of different places. And maybe that's fun to you, but usually most people just want to get, get you know, what they need and get out. Right. So, and it, by the way, I can't look at TweetDeck very long. And this gets into information overload. I, I, if there's breaking news and I'm highly interested in something, like if NVIDIA announces a new video card today or something, or an earthquake breaks out, yes, I will watch TweetDeck and I'll be highly interested in it and I'll be very focused on it. 
But my brain will fry after about half an hour. I just cannot. Brains are not, we did not evolve to look at that quantity of information and try to figure out who is writing and what's going on that long. Your brain can do it for short periods, but not for eight hours a day. It, it gets very, that's it, a very specialized job. And if you're doing one of those jobs, you're probably at a listening team at, you know, at one of these companies. And, and that's your job is to look at TweetDeck all day long. And you need breaks if, you, if that's your job, because you're going to go fry your brain. But a lot of it is trying to find the, you know, what, what's the signal which is, okay, this is really interesting. And it's not so much seeing the 100 tweets and saying, okay, here's one tweet, which is points to a link or makes a particularly important point, you know, and often they're links, you know, we're saying, okay, I hadn't seen that before. That's interesting. That's new. So yeah. that's where you're scanning, and then that's pulling you to wherever it is you should be going. And, and I'll, I'll give some heretical advice. Get off of social media as fast as you can. Social media is really good about uh, presenting you a, a group of people interested in a topic, right? Autonomous cars, AI, photography, art, whatever you're into, Right. But you're, you will learn a lot more from an hour conversation, off like what you're doing here, than if you tried to listen to me on Twitter. I, I never talk about information overload on Twitter, right? So you're probably not going to get too many tips yeah. out of me. But in a conversation like this, back and forth, you're going to get a lot more depth. And, and I built my whole career around doing what you're doing, which is go to people's offices and take my video camera and sit down for an hour and learn something, right? And that's a much better technique. The problem is how do you learn who is really up to date on AI? Twitter's really good about that, or, or LinkedIn, maybe. But it's not really good about depth. So the trick is I, I assign myself a goal of having a conversation like this every day. One, at least one conversation, and that would get me the depth I needed to keep up to date on the industry and also find out little tricks and techniques, right? If I'm a programmer, I'm not going to learn how to program C-sharp very well on Twitter. I might learn it in Stack Overflow online, but the really, the really secret stuff... You got to talk to a programmer who knows it. And that's why pair programming works so well, right? Sitting next to somebody else and programming with somebody else really amps up your knowledge on something. So, so part of it's knowing who to have the conversation with. Then I suppose it's getting them to have give you the time to have uh, the conversation with you. And that's really hard. Uh, here's an example. I wrote a blog post about the Consumer Electronics Show several years ago, right? Big, big blog post. And there was about 100 comments underneath the blog post. One of them was from Gary Shapiro, who runs the Consumer Electronics Show. He's the CEO of CTA, right? But the commenting system that WordPress uses doesn't show that that person's important, right? So the only way you would know that comment is important is to know who Gary Shapiro is. And know that he runs C CTA, uh, which runs the Consumer Electronics Show, right? 
And so you have to do a lot of mental work to do to figure that out. Most people will not do the homework to figure out who is commenting underneath a blog post, right? If you go to The Verge or go to TechCrunch, are you going to look up each person commenting and figure out who actually has something to say here or not? No. There's some ways to figure that out, you know, Google is actually pretty good at telling you who somebody is if you care, but how many people are going to do that kind of homework? So the shortcut is to rely on somebody like me who has already built a list of who's important in the industry or who's in in the industry. And I don't put a lot of low quality people on my list. If if you're low quality, if all you do is tweet about politics all day, that's what I call low quality, Unless, unless you're a politician. Right. If you're a politician, you better follow a tweet about politics all day long. Right. But, yeah. but I, if yeah, I'm listening yeah. to an AI engineer, I don't want a hundred thousand tweets about politics. I want to know about what's going on inside Tesla or Apple or something like that. Right. Or what the latest techniques are, what the latest tools are, what, you know, what the latest challenges are or where to get the best service. Right. So. Some people talk about uh, information sources as, you know, your New York Times or Economist or whatever. But for you, they're all individuals. Well, the Economist and and all the uh, New York Times are people like me. They choose the experts you want to listen to. Right. And it's a shortcut. Because you don't have time to figure out who to listen to. You don't know who Gary Shapiro is. You don't know who Andre Karpathy is, right? He runs uh, Tesla's AI. I, I know who that is, but you might not know who it is. So you rely on people who know what things are and report and, you know, get rid of all the noise and, and bring you the, 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 the nuggets of information. Problem is, I learned this in college. I ran the Associated Press wire machine at San Jose State University. And I was running it when OJ was found not guilty, right? There was 600 plus stories in the first hour on my wire machine. And the next day in the the San Jose Mercury News, the local newspaper, there was two stories. And that leads you to being biased because you're only getting somebody's filtered new view of the news. You're not getting the entire story. And I like to have the entire story. I like to know what is actually going on right now. Also, that gives you faster speed, which if you're an investor or a news person, having the speed matters, right? If you're an executive at a company and Bill Gates is calling you going, what the hell's going on? And you don't have an answer. You're not going to get called anymore, right? If you have the answer, you're going to get called more and you're going to get promoted, right? So, uh, for instance, I have an example of this. One night I was watching Twitter long before any of these new tools. This was, I don't know, years ago. And there was a big earthquake in China, and three tweets came up, earthquake, 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 thousands of miles apart. We beat CNN on the story by 45 minutes. Now, that's not going to be true anymore because CNN is using these same techniques, and they're using AI tools of their own to watch the news and bring just important news that's breaking in in the world so that they are not beat by 45 minutes anymore. 
right? But you can still beat in a lot of areas uh, other news sources by being on Twitter, right? Or being on LinkedIn or Facebook. You'll see things happening in your industry, like people dying or or uh, news events breaking, right? Somebody announces a new product, you'll see it before anybody else. Then, And if you care about being up to date and that's part of your brand, like you want to be the engineer at your company that everybody calls all the time because you're always up to date, then you got to play a different game than just watching the New York Times. Because once it's in the New York Times, everybody knows it, right? Yeah. So do you go direct to any mainstream media or is it always through social channels? Yes. One of my columns is the entire world's media. I have the BBC, the New York Times, Fox, CNN, every news source I can find in one column. And it and I if there's news breaking in the world, I go there and I can see everybody's opinion like my wire machine back in college. Right. And I have the same thing for the tech industry because I care about the tech industry. So I have all the tech news sources in one list. You can watch them. It's public on my Twitter. You can go to my Twitter list and search for world news list and tech news list. And you'll get all the world's news and all the tech news. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. For me, one of the key things here is about the, the sense-making. So, for you know, take augmented reality for argument's sake. So you, you know, the man, all right, who you need to know, let's call Robert. So the... We call them strategists. If you're at Apple or or Salesforce, you know, there's a strategy team, people like me, and I talk to many yeah. of them. They, they, uh, they, they help the executives figure out where to go, right? Exactly, exactly. But the strategy is not an accumulation of uh, tweets. It is yeah. an understanding of the whole and the sense of what's going on and what are the possibilities and pathways that could follow. So how do you go from a bunch of, you know, right, you, you are across the edge of everything that's happening. How do you go from that to that having made sense of understand, grokking the, that space? I, I was lucky I fell into this uh, at Microsoft. I, I was on a team called Channel 9, which was, uh, I was one of the first five people to start this thing. It's still going today, 15 years later, right? And uh, we bought a cheap video camera. Back up. I noticed that I learned a lot by taking people to lunch when I got my job at Microsoft. Um, And because I had a blog, people would invite me to lunch and like, hey, let me show you something cool, right? And I'd be like, why don't we ever put just this lunch out on the public view and let everybody know what I know. (laughs) know? And so I started doing that. That led me to going around the world. First of all, I interviewed 600 people at Microsoft from Bill Gates to the janitor. 
right? And so I got to understand Microsoft really well, and I got to understand what Microsoft Research was, what are they doing, you know, you know, what are all these pieces doing, what's the Xbox team doing, what's the Windows team doing, what's the tablet team doing, what's the mobile team doing. I, I talked, I had friends all across the company, and I interviewed them and spent a lot of time, you know, going every day around. I had an unfair advantage there. It's really hard to do that unless you're an executive. But if you want to be a strategist, you better figure out how to do this because that's how you're going to get the insights that Bill Gates doesn't have. And that's why Bill Gates is going to call you because you're going to have an answer that he doesn't have before. Or you're going to bring him, hey, you know, this is what Apple's going to do next year. And here's how we should react or how what we should be doing. And generally, they're more than a year ahead. Um. I went to the world's research labs. I, you know, I went to South by Southwest 25 times. And instead of just partying, I did a lot of partying. <laughs> um, but I, which is part of relationship building, right? Hanging out with people who are cool and learning what they care about and what, who they are and what they're working on. And when they're drunk, they tend to leak a little bit more than when they're not. Right, <laughs> little little hack, <laughs> life hack. Yep. Back to now that I'm sober, I get you know I hear this all the time that the sober people they love getting other people drunk because <laughs> it's great <laughs> for learning things, right? Because the mouth gets a little looser when people get a little alcohol in them, right? But I also was at Consumer Electronics Show, and I would work my butt off going to all the little. Uh, suites in the back halls, which is where all the little startups were. And that gave me insights that I could bring back to the big corporations and write books about, right? And that's still playing out. I, I mean, 10 years ago, I saw Prime Sense, a little Israeli company at one of those suites, and the founder showed me 3D sensors. Well, my iPhone just got the 3D sensor last year, right? So it took eight yep. years from when I saw it at the back suites in CES to when it's actually in a mainstream product, right? So I had an eight-year lead on every uh, normal people, right? <laughs> and same thing's happening right now. I'm talking to people who are building AI systems and talking about automatic labeling systems. Well, I, talk, I knew Tesla was building one a year ago before they even announced it two, you know, a few days ago, right? So do you build any frameworks sort of visual or written or you know thing or even sort of construct in your mind to be able to pull together these pieces into uh you know something which is coherent yeah um i wrote four books about technology you know and i wrote them about 10-year trends before the trend happened and the last one qualcomm's head of ar augmented reality said it's a must read so um, I'm pretty good about seeing where things are going to go over the next decade and talk to thousands of people about that. Right? I still do that today. That's how I synthesize what's going on. And then I write a book about it and put the book out. But is these, does the, do you synthesize through writing the book? Oh, and what's so how is a forcing function because you gotta you gotta have something yeah. to say. <laughs> right? If you write a, a seventy thousand words on a topic, you better figure out what you're gonna say. So it forces you to put it yeah. into a form 
with chapters and an out an outline to start with, right? Hey, this is what I'm seeing happen. And that outline can be a white paper that you bring your to your boss. It could be a speech you give inside your company, right? Whatever the package is that forces you to to get uh, an insight and package it up, that's gonna gonna be uh, pretty hard for you, most people, right? This is why they say. Yeah. If you really want to learn something, teach it to somebody else. Because if you're going to teach it to somebody else, you better know what you're talking about. Because if you don't, it's going to be obvious very quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the speech is a great one because the book is a lot, is a lot of work. <laughs> Whereas the speech, yeah, you can give a speech and you, it does force you to Speeches structure your thoughts and some kind of done right. Right. Yeah. To ask somebody oh, totally. who goes and speaks on the main <laughs> stage at TED how many months they put into their speech. I know people who put a year into their speech, mm. right? Yeah. Of practicing yeah. Yeah. it, of of knowing. Well, first of all, they put a lifetime into the speech. I saw a woman give a talk on spiders. That's all she studies is spiders. Okay, so she knows her topic really well, and then she had to practice her speech so that she could do it in front of four thousand of the world's richest people. Right? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> if you're giving a speech to Bill Gates, I guarantee you, you're preparing a lot before you get a one hour meeting with him, right? Or or yeah. any that forces you to forces you to structure your thoughts. Not only your thoughts, you're working with a team that probably is going in there, and you probably only have 10 or 15 minutes of an hour with him on a topic or on a technology or on a thing that's happening in the world or a competitive thing. And you, you, yeah, you're working your butt off for weeks to go in for a meeting because that one meeting with an executive like that is, it changes not just lives, it changes businesses, right? Many lives can come out of that, changed, can come out of that one meeting. Do you have a routine structure to sort of different slices of how you scan stuff or dig into stuff or? I, I have um, a focus that I turn a lot of things down. So this is a trick. It, if you, you can't be expert on everything now, right? You can be a generalist and know something about everything, but you can't be an expert at you know, AI. I can't be an expert on AI. I'm not Andre Karpathy working at Tesla every day, building his auto, the autopilot system. Uh-uh, that's not yep. me. And he knows way more than I'll ever know. And he, he'll forget more than I'll ever know about AI. Right? So I can't do that. But if you want to try to get up to him, you, you, you got to say no to everything else. Because the only way you're going to be something like that is to focus. And so I, I focus on consumer electronics I have for 40 years. And I say no to things all the time that aren't on my focus. Right now, it's spatial computing. That's what I care about and, the, and what it means for the home. So I'm always like, if somebody pitches me something, hmm, no, nah, I... I get that Ethereum is really important and crypto is really important. I have a list on that too, but that's not on my interest level. So I don't take an interview about it. I, I don't write books about it. I, I, I don't chase that, right? 
I want to be the world's expert on where Apple's going or where business with augmented reality is going. And there's a bunch of reasons I focused on that, right? But um, that's where I spend every moment of every day other than playing with my kids and watching, you know, Ted Lasso or something like that. My professional time, I focus right on that topic and I say no to everything else. And that's real key. You got to know why you're saying no and how to say no, because it's really hard to say no. I, I, yeah. I know I'm the world's worst person at saying no, but it, it gets easier when you say, hey, it just doesn't fit into my focus area, man. I, you know, I, I'm focused on Apple and you're working at Salesforce and asking me to talk about, you know, um, AI tools in the corporation. Not my thing, right? I might take yeah. it just because, yeah. which is why I'm bad at saying no, but I know that any every time I take a meeting that's not on my topic area, I'm not getting further to my next project or my next book or my next job, right? Yeah. So Thriving Overload, we, we are, as you started off talking about, pushing, you know, looking more to the ones who are already pretty, pretty good at all of this. But what's your advice? So, all right, somebody's come along saying, okay, I'm... I know a lot. I'm trying to keep across change. It's kind of getting a bit overwhelming. What What's your advice? What are the things that you would uh, tell that person to do? Um, I think we've we've already said several of them. Know how to say no to people because that's and why, right? So have a have an idea, a thesis of where are you headed? And if I can ask, you know, even you. Where are you headed in five years? Where, what, what are you doing this for? Why, what drives you? What makes you happy? What, where do you see yourself in five years? If you don't have answers to that, think about that, right? Because that'll help you focus your efforts. You know, if you say, I'm going to be CEO of Salesforce in five years, well, how are you going to do that, right? We can have a real interesting conversation about how, how to become CEO of Salesforce in five years, right? And I... I know lots of people have become like CTO of Facebook after being normal people for a long time, right? Um, two, you you gotta know who to listen to, and start with twenty people. Make a list of twenty people that are really baller in this industry or in the topic, right? If you're trying to learn how to do pottery. You better know who Linda Weinman is because she has a pottery studio with 3D printers in it, right? So, <laughs> so you should go down and visit her. If you want to do bleeding edge pottery, right? She be, should yep. be one of the 20 people on your list. And if she's not, she will be pretty quick once you start building a list like this because you'll find the other 19 and then they'll all start saying, hey, Linda, look at Linda's stuff, right? And you start looking at Instagram and who has the hot pottery pictures and who's charging $6,000 for a piece of pottery? Well, it's Linda Weinman. So it, the world starts pointing you at these people, right? And that gets you up to date. So start building a list of just 20 people. It don't need to follow 100,000 people like me. And that's a little crazy, right? You might in 20 years, you might become me and, uh, you know, and be watching 20,000 people on behalf of Procter & Gamble or something, but 
most of your audience is probably not that. So find 20 people that are in your industry that you or in your focus area that you really care about. And they will, I guarantee you, if you follow 20 people, they will pull other people who are cool, interesting, knowledgeable, bleeding edge, doing weird shit into your view. That's how Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn all work, right? They, they, they all bring other things into your view. So start with 20 people and away you go. Read a book. And the book, you know, like you said, read the New York Times. It'll get you up to date pretty quick on a lot of topics, right? Or the economists, especially. If you can read an economist article and, and you do some homework on that article, like you Google each person that's mentioned, you'll have your 20 people in one article, right? Yep. So... There's a lot more exciting times to come and keeping across uh, change. Anything yeah. you think is going to, well, I mean, all right, since you're, since you're a futurist too, <laughs> what's going to change in how we keep across overload in the coming years? Um, AI is changing everything. My oven has AI in it. It looks at m meat or bread I put in it and doesn't burn it. My, uh, my audio system has AI in it now. My phone has AI in it, right? Um, my car self-drives, my Tesla self-drives, and it has 19 systems that are all running on AI. So that's where I'm focusing a lot of my effort on understanding how um, the world is going to change. The real question is, how do you get five years ahead of everybody else? Because that's pretty obvious today, right? And if you don't, if you're in business and you don't understand AI, you better catch up because it's going to really change everything about the world and every product every company is is using it so the trick is now how do we get it five years ahead what does elon musk what's elon musk gonna need in 2026 car washes how did i come up with that because i talked to a lot of people about second order effects if this happens, if autonomous cars happen, and I can lay out why it's going to happen, and it's going to happen sometime in the next five years. If that happens, what happens after? And that's a little bit of creativity, but it's, it's about hanging out with people who are at the bleeding edge like, and writing books with the bleeding edge people, right? So you call up Sebastian Thrun, who ran the Google self-driving team, and you talk to him about, well, what's going to happen after self-driving? Because he's thought about it a lot. And he had some answers like car washes, <laughs> right? Cities are going to change. And he lays out how. MIT builds simulators to simulate what happens if we take parking garages out of cities. And what happens? You know, what does it look like? What is... How do people move around, right? There's people working on that. So you interview somebody working at MIT Media Lab, and all of a sudden you figure out how cities are going to change. That's how Wired Magazine writes its articles, right? Yeah, yeah. Pushing out the edge. 20 Robert, people. Robert, be fantastic. Just start with 20 people. It's really easy. You start with the right 20 people, like, like Sebastian Theron, and you're going to hear some crazy stuff. Yeah. And it's all fun. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks, Robert. That's been really, really insightful. Uh, great to talk to you. Yeah, and, thanks. And um, have a wonderful day.
But thank you. It's fun hanging out and talking about something I don't usually get to talk about very much because I'm not, people don't really think about how did he write four books that predict decade long trends? So thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.